Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Roll for Persuasion, your show where I, Andrew, your humble host, chat with creatives and creators in the nerd space. What is that nerd space? It's really whatever space I happen to feel like talking to someone about any given week, which makes it really cool for me because that means I just get to go find people that I think are awesome and talk with them about things they love. I have one of those awesome people with me here today, and we will get to her in just a moment. But as always, I want to say thank you. Thank you so, so much to the fine, fine folks at Hero Forge, makers of, at this point, an untold amount of minis. I would love to find out just how many minis they have created in their time as a mini production five. I'm being told off, off, off camera that they have made five total minis, um, which checks out. But the great thing about the, their minis, you could make the sixth one, and it could be anything you want. You can, you can have a sword, you can have a shield, you can have a sword shield, I think. You can have alien arms, you can have an alien tail. Uh, literally anything you can imagine, mostly, you can make on HeroForge.com with their fantastic miniature creating tools for your tabletop games, for miniature painting, for general fun, whatever you're into, maybe you just like making miniatures. It's a great place to go and do that. And they are a great company and we appreciate their support of the show and the community at large. So check them out, HeroForge.com, follow them on socials at Hero Forge Minis. Well, as I said, I have an awesome person with me here today. And uh, I found that more than me telling you why someone is awesome, it's a much more interesting and potentially uncomfortable thing to have another person explain to you why they're awesome. So, Diana D'Amico, why are you awesome? What do you do? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question. Um, You're kind of putting me on the spot at first. Uh, So, hi, I'm Diana D'Amico. I already have alien wings and an alien tail. Um, I am the dice affiliate manager over at Die Hard Dice. I'm one of the owners at Bard and Barbarian. Um, I'm the storyteller for the nightlife. I'm kind of out there loud and and engaged with the nerdy people on the internet. Which is awesome uh, and, and is a joy to see and then has been fun getting to know you and work with you in the Dice Philly program and see all the cool things you're doing, um, much of which we will dive into, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm also your your perfect counterpart, right? Like you and I are destined. That is what I was just about to say. Right? Yeah. We're just, we're in lock. We're I mean, already, <laughs> we're two minutes in and we're just synced. It's great. Because we're, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to call it anybody's age, but we're, I think we're roughly the same age. I think we're roughly at a very similar point in our careers. And uh, we seem to often struggle with the same crippling self-doubt. So it, it seems pretty lockstep. Yeah. I, I mean, it's really just the first step on our road to like a perfect hero-anti-hero combo. So I, I'm guessing, you know, five, ten years down the road, we'll be able to do another one of these where one of us has just robbed a major bank vault and the other one prevented it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. But I like the idea that it's not necessarily a hero nemesis thing. It's not like you resent me for robbing the bank. I, I like I assume that I'm the, the bank robber. Um, <laughs> See, I would have assumed that I was the bank robber. <laughs> so in five to ten years, we will be robbing a bank going, why is nobody stopping us? This is This is strange. <laughs> Um, genuinely, you you are an absolute joy, not just to chat and interact with, but just to see flourish out in the world. So um, congrats for any and all success you've had this far. I, I don't know where to dive in because you do a lot of really cool things and I want to talk about all of them and I'm sure we will. But uh, but I am curious, as I sit here, we're on video chat. Um, for those of you who aren't aware, you're listening to a podcast, which means you can't see anything, but I can. And I can see that you have all sorts of fun, nerdy stuff behind you. I see a Bantha. I see, I think, a Boba Fett, um, all sorts of just fun, nerdy things. So what, what was your first nerdy thing? What was the thing that like made you go, ooh, I like this silly world of sci-fi, fantasy, whatever it might be? Ooh, that's a tough question. So I actually am relatively new to the entirety of, of gaming. Um, like, truthfully, it's it's been less than five years since I really got involved in the hobby. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who, when I find something I like, I, I dive in head first and stick with it until I'm tired of it. So um, I was going through some some trouble in my personal life and I was really having just a rough time and um, one of my friends said hey we're gonna go play D&D up in Lafayette with some people you know this weekend you should come and just get out of get out of Indianapolis and and zone in on something else um, 
this is the same woman who I had made fun of relentlessly for years for playing Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, I went and I played and I completely fell in love. And that led me down the rabbit hole of more RPGs and more fandoms and more people to engage with, um, which let loose my my love of Star Wars and my love of science fiction. And um, to find that there were other people who were creating and altering the worlds that I grew up reading about and loving in movies uh, was kind of opening so um yeah it all started with uh, a bad mood and an ill-fated uh tiefling bard as the best stories typically do yeah absolutely my first character was also a tiefling though not a bard um but close enough we'll, we'll continue we, we can we can continue this uh you know this parallel that's that's fine was it a paladin because i don't know why i feel like you'd play a lot of paladins oh no i have opinions on paladins uh those opinions are fuck paladins i don't think i would so ever one ever play one i have one opinion <laughs> <laughs> those opinions are a singular mm. yeah. yeah no uh it was it was a sorcerer that i then multi-classed into a warlock uh that my wife describes as unbearable um so that tells you maybe everything you, you need to know. I don't know. It was my first D&D character, so I was like, oh, I don't know. It seems like a character I would love, so. I look back, and and it, and it was just uh, it was just that first, like, like he was a little too much. He was like, uh, what's the main character from that Name of the Wind, the Patrick Rothfuss books? He was like that guy, like, oh, I'm so charismatic and full of myself and very proud of who I am, and look at me slinging my dick around everywhere. And you weren't um, a bard. I wasn't a bard. See, that's the weird thing, right? And mm-hmm. and it was funny because I didn't pick a bard because I didn't want to be that stereotypical bard. So I just picked a different class and did the stereotypical bard in a different class. So it yeah. worked, apparently. I mean, you stuck with it and made made other stuff. So yeah. So really, really can't complain. Yeah. What made you stick with it? What was? Did you have a moment in like your first game where you were like, "Ooh, this is good." Ooh, that's a good question. So. I think I'm probably one of the only D&D players who can say that they cast Fireball their very first time at the table. Um, one of my friends was trying out DMing for the first time, and we were able to start out with, I want to say, level seven characters. We started mm-hmm. out a little bit higher. Um, and I was like, ooh, the Fireball spell. That's like traditional. That's yeah. that's badass. So I took the spell, and we were on a boat. And he set up this big aquatic battle scene where these these sorcerers and their goons were like coming to take over our vessel. And I just fireballed the ships and he forgot I had the spell so he couldn't do anything about it. And they all sank Um, one round of combat. So uh, I think that was it. I was like, oh, oh, I'm powerful in in this game, in this world. Um, I like this feeling dangerous thought but um but yeah i i found it and i fell in love and before too long um i was working for a gaming company and you know i i met my fiance there so it kind of just like took over my whole life very quickly it's kind of weird how that happens um i mean yeah i went from a corporate job i hated to starting a podcast to two years later working for a big gaming company talking to people i have no right to talk to and it's my day job i just get to play games and have fun and tell stories and it, it and uh i don't know how that happened it feels but like a trap like some at some point someone's gonna be like hmm, 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 jokes <laughs> exactly. on you yeah but like for me it, it really has like i mean it's changed fundamentally huge things about my life like my friend group that we play D with like D is like our constant discussion. We're talking about it today. And at one point I'm like, is this all our friendship is based on? It's like, no, this is just a way to express friendship that we don't have anywhere else that we get to do together. Um, my daughter, I've been tweeting about it. She's like three and a half, almost three and a half. We, uh, we'd been reading the Hobbit out loud to her. And like now for like the past week, she's like, I'm Dory, you're Gollum. And my wife is Bilbo. Cause there are no women in the Hobbit. Um, and like, like every day she's like, no, 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 I'm Dory, you're Gollum. Like, and I'm like, like we would not be this level of nerdy if it weren't for playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons. And it like, it, it's mind blowing. I mean, we are incredibly lucky. Yeah. I can't imagine, I can't imagine a different life. And even though for me it was intentional, like, Oh, I'm going to start a show and see where that goes. It still kind of feels like it just happened. And I'm like, why did that happen? How did that happen? What, what in the world? And it feels like it happens very quickly when in reality it takes, it takes a lot of building and a lot of planning um, and a lot of 
failure, frankly. Like, you gotta screw up a lot. Yeah. Um, if you let it, it can take over your whole life and just kind of recreate it. Like, now I live, I live across the country. Um, everything about my life is fundamentally different. I, I too, had a corporate job for a decade before I started doing this. Um, and now I'm like, why did I do that for so long? <laughs> And you talk to people who like were like, oh yeah, in college I uh, I went out and I joined an improv group and I did that and then I moved to L.A. and I've been working in entertainment and gaming since I was like 22 and I'm like I didn't know that was an option mm-hmm. at 22 I didn't know that was an option at 28 mm-hmm. like it wasn't until a couple of years ago I was like wait a minute you're telling me I could do this and get paid for it that still hasn't sunk in for me I'm pretty sure L.A. is made up. I don't think it's real. It's very strange. So here's the weird and annoying thing. And listeners of the show probably get tired of me talking about this. But at my old job, I would fly to L.A. once a month for a year um, for a couple days. And I started the show in 2019, which feels like forever ago. End of 2019. And right around the time, the end of that year, I started kind of making some connections with people out in L.A. Like Jason Charles Miller or... um, uh, Brian Foster and the critical role group. And I'm like, okay, like, like at one time I went to LA and I got to tour the critical role studios and I was like, okay, it's all coming together. And then uh, I was like, okay, I'm meeting more people. Uh, 2020, I'm going to be in LA cause I still have this terrible job. I'm going to be in LA all the time. My company is going to pay for me to go start my entertainment career. Cause while I'm in town for work, then in the nighttime, I'm going to go meet people. And then the world fell apart and now I don't go to LA at all. Um, but, but even in that tiny taste, there was that vibe of creatively anything is possible you just have to find the right people Mm because even just being there and burst for three days here four days there only just kind of getting to know people i started getting like hey we're gonna do a thing do you want to come join do you want to come be part of this and it hasn't been able to happen because of covid and all that but all to say i've seen i've seen through the grimy window that la might be real um and and might be this this cool place where dreams can come true along with misery and failure sure but uh I'll have to say, I think it's real. I think so. I think probably the the biggest uh, sort of life-shifting change since starting down this path, starting out someplace corporate, is uh, there's literally an audience for everything, which is a strange concept, right? Like, you know, we've all we've all heard Rule 34 on the internet. Like, we... we we've and if impl- you haven't, go Google it. No, please don't. That's a bad idea. <laughs> um, but... There is an audience for literally anything you want to make. If you sit down and you're like, I'm going to make an RPG dedicated to an anthill where we're all ants trying to achieve a specific purpose, but we can only communicate by spitting on one another or something like that. Like, I guarantee you that someone else is like, ooh, that's awesome. I love ants. Um, right now, I'm I'm writing a one-page RPG about different personas of David Bowie all working collaboratively to to fight an interstellar demon and save the world. Like, there is an that's audience. That's so good. I will play that game. I'm the audience See? for that exactly. game. Exactly. There is mm-hmm. there is an audience for literally anything that you want to make, and and skill level doesn't matter. Um, I think that the the thing that you you have to have is the passion, which is in abundance right now, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what, how did you get your first, uh, gaming job in the industry? What, what, how'd that go down? Um, well, uh, I used to work for a company called level up dice. Um, and they had a very unique business pattern in that they would, they would find people to come and work for the company, either in a convention capacity or a more permanent capacity. Um, at conventions, they they wanted people who were passionate about the product, um, who were interested in it, who liked to share that that passion with other people. So, um, I met uh, Justice at Indie PopCon 2018, um, where he sold me a a very beautiful, very expensive set of dice that I was super psyched to to pay money for. And he was like, "Hey, do you want to come work a convention with the company?" Now, I was a bank manager at the time like I it made no sense for me to be like okay sure and fly across the country to work a show for a weekend but I did it anyway Mm -hmm. um and it was it was such a freeing experience to be able to talk to people about you know their characters and their games and sort of share that connection with total strangers for three days that I was like okay 
Um, by Sunday night, I was asking Justice, I was like, hey, how can I make this a job? Yeah. And so for the next month or so, we were talking about um, different skills I had and, and how they could be applicable, um, which at the time, not going to lie to you, was not a ton. I it, get that. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't a lot. Um, but what I did have was uh, a good set of vocal cords and the ability to, to be personable when when it was demanded of me. So I was actually at the same time in the process of starting a fellowship program for uh, my master's degree in art therapy. And so the weekend of Gen Con in 2018, I was I was at my fellowship and um, some of the level up dice employees, including the owner, were needing a ride to the airport. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave early and I'm going to go back to Indianapolis and I'll take them to the airport. Uh, and so I did. I, I went and I picked everyone up and Alex and I ended up talking for something like four hours in the airport lounge. And um, then it just kind of went from there. I started working for the company, first uh, managing and running the warehouse and then doing social media and then social media and marketing. And um, I, I worked every convention in the U.S. in 2019. And yeah, it, it, it was a wonderful uh, experience to just kind of dive in without a parachute. It was really thrilling. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of industries that I don't actually have firsthand experience of. Um, and I know that because I haven't worked in them. But I, I feel like what I have seen over and over and heard talking to people on the show and, and just meeting in life was that for whatever reason, maybe it's because it's a creative space. It's a, it's a people-centric space in many ways because even, even dice or terrain, like we're centered in some way around telling stories. There seems to be a willingness from many people in the space to say, I don't know if your skills on paper apply to what we're doing, but I can, I get your vibe and you're personable and you show up and you do hard work. And it turns out that that can actually be applied to just about anything. And you can learn the skill bit as you go. Um, there, there just seems to be far more of an openness to that than I've experienced working in and uh, knowing people in other industries. Well, I mean, in in TTRPGs in general, in RPGs in general, the whole concept is is based around flexibility and improvisation, right? If you're sitting mm, down yeah. to, to have a collaborative storytelling experience, everybody's got to be willing to kind of roll with the punches um, and, and take problems and solutions as they come. So I, I feel like TTRPG players in general are very... Um, adept at picking up new skills or finding new ways to apply old ones. Mm -hmm. um, I, I personally, if I were starting any kind of serious company, I would only hire gamers to work at it because they're so good at just picking up a thing and making it work. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, you know, natural gifted improv, it comes in handy. <laughs> Absolutely. And so uh, now you are at Die Hard Dice, which is one of the ways we got connected, because yeah. as you will hear in a, in a spot read and I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes, uh, <laughs> I'm part of the Dice Philly program. And, and you guys are just a fantastic group. We also, um, in, in my other professional capacity at Dwarven Forge, we work a lot with you guys. Uh, you did some great dice for our last Kickstarter that I've seen some prototypes for recently that are just super cool. And so you've got that going on and you've got Bard and Barbarian. Which, uh, tell me, tell me about that. Uh, so the two actually kind of go hand in hand. Um, last year in the great, uh, Pandora of, of 2019, 2020, Justice and I left Level Up Dice and for a while we didn't really know what we were going to do. So I was, I was freelancing, I was doing marketing and social media and, um, consulting for podcasts and, and live streams and basically anyone in the geek space. And Justice and I were like, well, why don't we, let's, let's start our own thing. Let's just do it. Um, so Barden Barbarian is the company that Justice and I run together. Um, it has two aspects. So we do have a small geeky store where we work with some of our favorite people in the industry uh, to create cool stuff for bards and barbarians and people who just like RPGs. Um, and then the other half of it is, of course, our Twitch channel, where we run a lot of Call of Cthulhu. We run a lot of uh, Outbreak Undead and Vampire the Masquerade. We do a lot of non-D&D &D systems. 
Um, the whole concept there was we wanted to bring more people in for more RPGs. Uh, because the minute I tried Call of Cthulhu, I was I was completely in love with the system. I want to play Cthulhu so bad. We can help not. with that. I'm right here. We got you. I got you. Um, but it was just kind of a passion project, and I think a lot of people got involved in, in streaming and kind of exploring their love of geeky stuff uh, in the pandemic, and Justice and I have just kind of stuck with it, and that's actually how I got hooked up with Die Hard in a more professional capacity. Uh, I knew Todd and Jesse, and I knew the crew from having worked near them at shows, and, you know, they had always been uh, friends of Level Up Dice, so we knew each other, and uh, I had contacted uh, Die Hard about creating something for Barton Barbarian, because, you know, I like custom stuff. It's mine. No one else can have it. That's the Exactly, rule. yeah. So Jesse and I had been talking about that, and one day she was like, hey, um, Todd and Alton would like to, to talk to you about some stuff, potentially doing some work with, with Die Hard Dice. Um, I, I'm going to hook the, the three of you up so you can set up a time. And so we did. And I'm going into this meeting thinking that it's like consulting. Like what I'm what I'm actually doing at the time, right? Uh, but it turns out it was an interview, and I just surprise. Yeah, I know, right? I just didn't know. And Die Hard Dice is the one company I would have I would have stopped freelancing for. Mm. Die Hard Dice is everything that the entire TTRPG community should be. Jesse specifically requested that I come aboard to run this program. That's sort of like her her baby, her child. Um, and like, how do you say no to that? Uh, so yeah, Dicephiliates is my current role. It's uh, an amazing program that's designed specifically to help creators create more cool stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm going to interrupt because it's wild. Like I remember when I first reached out to you about it, or I think you put something out about it and you sent me back the description of like, this is what the program is. My first thought as I sat outside a grocery store, I think waiting for groceries was like, well, this seems like a lie. <laughs> this just seems wrong. Be and I'll, and I'll let you speak to it again. It was just, it was so having done affiliate marketing, both as someone, you know, finding affiliates for companies I worked at and then going and trying to do it as a podcast there is nothing like the program you guys do. And and we get that response of this has to be a lie or this can't be written right a lot. Uh, the the goal of the program has never truly been to make money. Die Hard Dice doesn't need help with that. The goal of the program is to bolster people in the community, to uh, amplify voices that deserve more of a platform to provide more resources for people who maybe might not be able to go out and, and get traditional sponsorship um, for folks who, who are still creating their platform and finding their footing in the community. So it's designed for, for people like me, for people like you, for people who aren't already streaming on the D&D Twitch channel and, you know, getting invited to D&D Live and I'm so proud of the, the group that we have together. Uh, you guys help each other and um, you share resources and it's wonderful to watch you guys grow. I have the best job in the entire universe. I will maintain that until I die. Um, it's, it's a dream come true. And it, it's a pretty cool community. Like, uh, and, and I even remember when I, when I first joined, just because of like my particular platform, like I was like, Oh, I'm probably not going to hit like the, uh, the numbers they want, like, because I'm, I'm not like super, I'm not on Twitter all the time being like, use my code, use my code. And I even reached out to you. I was like, Hey, if you want me, I, I don't think I said this, but in my head, I was like, if she doesn't want me to be a part of this, that's okay. Cause you know, I know it's, it's about numbers and you're like, no, it's, it's cool. Like there are other reasons <laughs> you're here. And I was like, mind blown. Wow. Um, and it, and it really is like, I've, I've gotten to do cool things, uh, with people in the, in the diehard community. We did a, um, we did just like a Google hangout, I don't know, a couple months ago where I just talked with people about like marketing and how to market yourself and how to reach out to companies. And, and it was kind of one of those, like, I, I realized that I know things from different jobs I've had that other people might not get to know. And that's like, um, that was a, such a fun thing. And I still chat with people from the discord about that, about getting to reach out and help. And other people have reached out and helped me. And it is genuinely just one of the, um, 
just most helpful and caring and genuine communities that, that I've been a part of in any capacity. So thank you for shepherding that and for, uh, you know, allowing people to grow and blossom. Thanks for being a part of it. Uh, I, I had my doubts, uh, when we started bringing people aboard as to how well it would be received, uh, with, with the community being so much for lack of a better term, driven by people who want to make this their, their whole career, their whole life. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, I can attest to the fact, and, and you can attest to the fact, I'm sure, that it's it's not always enough to sit down and pay a bill that you get paid out every month, but it's enough to sure. save up to, to buy a new microphone part or, you know, upgrade your software or something like that. And we try and spread those resources around as much as we can, but, you know, we want to give everyone the opportunity to eventually make a cool custom set of dice and... Uh, I love those projects. That's a lot of fun. So, yeah, it's it's a wonderful place. And uh, speaking as both the person who runs the program and a participant, I I can't wait to see it get bigger and grow. It's that classic, like, I'm not just the owner. I'm a customer, like, <laughs> like endorsement. Um, but it really is. It really is awesome. And, and since we're talking about, we'll go ahead and shout it out now. If you are listening and you want fantastic dice, um, you can go to dieharddice.com and you can use the code roll persuasion and it'll get you 10% off, which is cool. And it'll help me pay my little podcasting bills, which is cool. But even more than that, you're getting dice that are really just wonderful, fun, high quality dice from a wonderful, fun, high quality company. And um, I just cannot recommend them. If I did not have an affiliate code, I would still be talking about them because they are just that cool. There's awesome people. And it's fun that I get to work with them, uh, with Diana and and at Dwarvenforge and all these different ways because they're great people. So go check them out. Use my code or not. Go find somebody else's code. I genuinely don't care because you should just uh, you should support the community and you should support the people in it. So go get some dice, have some fun. Dieharddice.com. If you tell me which episode of Roll Persuasion you like in the notes section of your order, we'll throw in something extra for you to to play around with and share with the the rest of the Roll for Persuasion community. You're going to see eight orders come in all with different names, but all going to my address. Um, I'll be like, this is weird and confusing, but all right. Schmandrew? Who is Schmandrew? <laughs> His cousin. Yeah. It's your evil twin. He's got a goatee. Right. And uh, and a monocle, Mm. as they usually do. Yes. Typically evil twins have those. So you you start playing D and D. You you go all in, which which again, like we are just such weird parallels because like I started playing D and D, and then I was like, there's got to be a way for me to like do this more, and like I I just and be in this community more, and and just got hooked. But um. You are fairly recently, right? You are the keeper for the nightlife, which is a Vampire the Masquerade game set in Miami with just a kick-ass cast. So tell me about that and how that came about. Uh, Well, so one of the things that I did for Level Up Dice in the pandemic when it all started out was I I tried to pivot us to to a Twitch presence like a lot of companies did. Um, I did not reinvent the wheel, but I, I... <laughs> we'll say we'll say you did. Sure, yeah, like, nobody did. nobody thought of using came Twitch up with it, um, as a fallback. I in fact invented Twitch and then implanted the idea in people's heads. Inception, um, but I started pivoting Level Up Dice to to more of an online presence, and we had recently had a conversation with B. Dave Walters about putting together something for for a darkened wish which is one of the shows that he's run in the past for D&D and so I I messaged him one day and I was like hey how would you feel about putting together a how to world of darkness stream because again even then I was really interested in getting people off of D&D and interested in other systems. I don't mean to trash D&D. I like D&D. Everyone does. Uh, but I think that there's there's more out there. Um, and I think it's Absolutely. it's valuable to experience things outside of a D20 role, too. So he was like, yeah, sure, let's, let's do it. So I put together a little cast for that. And we did Vampire the Masquerade. And we loved that so much. And the group was so much fun to play with that we expanded. And we uh, moved it to the Q Times channel and started playing Werewolf. And then Wraith. And then Changeling. And then Mage. And we're actually about to come back for our, our cumulative world of darkness stream where we each chose our favorite character to bring back and play for an eight episode arc 
and once we once we finished up mage uh i guess i had asked b dave to to help me out with some storytelling stuff for ash and ruin the four-part vampire the masquerade series i ran for bard and barbarian and he and i talked about it a lot and one of the things that is important to me as an individual is if you're going to do something put in the effort to do it the right way so i i asked oh god i'm sure he got tired i asked a million questions how would you do this how would you incorporate this? How would you get from point A to point B? Um, and I guess at, at some point, B. Dave developed an admiration for the way that I kind of handled myself in that environment. And uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that he suggested uh, Renegade Games get in touch with me. I had helped them out for Renegade Con, but nothing this big scale. And um, mm-hmm. I started talking to them and I said, yeah, I'd love to run Vampire the Masquerade for you. Uh, and we started talking about who should play in it. And I will never, ever pass up the opportunity to play a game with Gabe Hicks, ever. I He is a phenomenal individual in every single way. On my bucket list. Yeah, he's he's pretty spectacular um, in every capacity. And, and Nora is a, a wonderful person to share the table with. I've played with her tons of times before. And um, Jen had been someone who I had wanted to sit down with forever. And she'd never played Vampire the Masquerade before. And I was like, hey, I'll, I'll bring you into the world and we'll try something new together. And, and Cynthia is a really good friend of mine. And, of course, she is the Blue Baroness, like why would I not invite her to my Vampire the Masquerade game? So yeah, we're, we're halfway through season one and it's, it's been so much fun so far. Uh, and another thing that I talk about on the show too much, I just love vampire. Um, I love D and D I played loads of D and D I'm playing D and D tonight. I'm playing D and D this week. No, no, I'm playing, uh, I'm playing, uh, the monster game. I don't remember monster of the weekend. This Anyway, I play, I play a lot of D and D. But I love Vampire. I just love Vampire. It is such a great and fun game. And I've never run a game of Vampire, but I think I'd love that too. I think you would too. It's one of the biggest GM tips I've I've kind of learned to assimilate into my person in the last six months to a year. Um, is don't plan as much. I, I have high key anxiety so when i used to go into games everything would be plotted out right every every possible scenario that i thought people could get into would be written out and i would be so stressed going into the game that i wouldn't be able to enjoy it but especially with the nightlife i've learned to just kind of let things happen and pick up the pieces at the end and resituate them for the next episode and vampire is so good because your players are uh, in my experience people who create their vampire the masquerade characters they fall in love with them immediately and they they want to showcase what that character can do mm-hmm. so you just let them run wild and and there's something i mean mechanically too like right now i'm playing uh planning a dnd game i haven't run dnd since the first time i ran dnd uh years ago for people who'd never played so there was very little pressure then it was like none of us know we're what we're gonna doing. think you're a genius um, no matter what right we've now we've now played a lot uh, and I am stressing about that cause we're playing, we're starting high level. We're starting at like level 14. Um, and so I'm like, I have to have everything ready. And, but what I love about vampire as a player, but I would imagine as a keeper too, is because it's already grounded in many ways to a world that we know it's, it's outside just at nighttime and they're vampires, but like you, you, you aren't getting caught up in your head of like, okay, well, would this person, what spells would the owner of the shop know? And like, it, it, it seems like it has space for you to let go and just kind of bring your own natural experience into it a bit more than a you know, world of dragons and goblins. A hundred percent. Now that, that is an absolute double-edged sword. Ash and Ruin was set in depression era Chicago. And one of my players went, uh, Michelle was, was all about the research, right? Which, Beyond the the normal lore of Vampire the Masquerade, Depression Era anywhere had a lot going on. Uh, So she had looked up specific locations and bars and and all of this. And, you know, my approach to storytelling in general has always kind of been like, okay, here are here are five loose periods in time. Uh, I know these five events are going to happen with or without the presence of my players. Let's just 
make up the rest. I wasn't in Chicago in 1931, so don't really know exactly what that was like. Uh, so you can get super bogged down in reality, though. That does make Especially sense. Especially in our, our World of Darkness New York games, B-Dave started every single episode with, I do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of New York. I will say things wrong. Uh, we will we will probably mess this up, which was perfect because Emily, one of the players, lives in New York and was always there for handy reference. But she was like, yeah, sure, you can take the subway there. That it's sure. <laughs> you know, I, as you say that, I realized that I have been that player. I played in a game with uh, Ellie Collins as the keep or as a storyteller um, and uh, Gehenna Gaming, a great group. Go check them out. Um, but it, we, it was like an old West and was set in Texas and I am from Texas and fairly familiar with Texas history. Cause you have to take two years of it in Texas cause we're a little self-obsessed. Um, know. yeah, it's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, and at one point she was like, Oh, and a train went from here to here and, and it takes this amount of time. I'm like, that's probably like a 40 minute train ride actually. And she was like, Oh, well I guess it is. And I was like, Oh, I didn't mean to do that. But like. It's true. Sometimes your players, I guess, will have that knowledge and be like, well, actually, here's some information for you. Love the well, actually crew. Love it. Oh, but it's actually they're gems. <laughs> well, I don't I don't mind it, especially like the nightlife is is set in Miami um, and I have a fail safe there. So because it's Florida, if ever I run into a situation where something isn't where I need it geographically to be, a sinkhole opens up and just makes things closer together or makes it harder to get somewhere. Um, and that is entirely Convenient. possible. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect. And a gator comes out and eats uh, eats the person you were talking to and you can't we go back to him for help. So Too bad, crazy, moving on. crazy that that would happen. Uh, yeah, Florida Man is my scapegoat for this game. That's, that's not a bad... <laughs> in fact, that might just be good DMing advice. Just always have a Florida always man. Have, have, have embodied man. chaos yes. that you can bring in at any point to just reset the table in case you need it. It's perfect. Or Wild Magic Surge, best tool for a DM. So good. I In in uh in my show, Second Star to the Right, which you can check out at twitch.tv uh, slash second star show if you want What's to see again? an adventure. Can you, can you uh, I believe it was, uh, they're telling me uh, twitch.tv slash second star show. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think so. Word is there's actually a link in your show notes. Because um, always be promoting. Um, <laughs> we we had a, a couple sessions ago. Uh, a wild magic surge is actually built into the Neverland game that we're playing. Uh, when you get near the stars, shit goes crazy. And you roll on a D100, which is my favorite thing in any game. Chaos, 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 give me chaos. And, uh, and it split the party and threw people around and it made for two fantastic sessions and it will break your plans as a DM, but it will inspire your players to bring even more to the table. So I, I am a firm believer that chaos should be inherent to some degree in whatever game you run. So you've moved from a bank to dice companies and conventions mm -hmm. and, uh, cosplaying I, I feel like anytime I, I hop on Twitter you've got some you've got a different color uh, on <laughs> on you which is super cool um, and and more commitment than I could ever show when I try and cosplay um, what what's next or what do you what do you hope is next what are if, if you feel like talking about it what are what are things that you're like man it would sure would be great if next year two years whatever like what are what are the things that you still want to achieve as you grow in the industry? Uh, well, I have I have two goals for myself right now that, you know, never put a timer on something like that because you'll just make it more work than it needs to be. Um, I want to do more game writing in, in general, uh, not because I think that I can bring anything particularly unique to the table, but because it's it's seeing behind the curtain, right? It's, mm. it's seeing how the sausage gets made. Um, and I think that creating some of the mechanics that are involved with different systems like dread rising um our our outbreak on dead game has been kind of hard to manage just because the system is so different from what i'm used to that it's it, it causes us to stumble over the story on occasion and i think doing some game writing will help me not only be more adaptable with systems that are new to me but yeah. also it'll it, it's going to help me see the why which is always sure. an important thing for me. I'm one of those people. 
knowing why a mechanic was created or why a rule was implemented helps me helps me be a better player and it helps me be a better GM. Uh, the other thing that I, I would really like to try and do this year, so one of the things that I guess I've only recently become kind of vocal about is the fact that I play Magic the Gathering. Um, I play a lot of Magic the Gathering. It's it's the thing that Justice and I do to re- relax when whenever we have a spare moment to ourselves. But I've never... I've never even considered like streaming any of that or sharing it really with the community because mm-hmm. I know that I don't play with optimized decks. I sure. know I don't. Um, I will never win a competition by anything short of luck. However, that shouldn't prevent someone from being a vocal participant in the hobby. And that's a that's a hard thing to kind of accept, especially, you know, you can't really win D&D, but you can win Magic the Gathering. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I think that I would like to be more forward about that being a, a part of my life and, and sharing it with people and maybe being that example of someone who screws up and never wins, but still enjoys themselves at the table. Yeah. As someone who both wants to and very much does not want to get into magic. Like, like I think that that would, cause that's part of the intimidation for me beyond the fact that like when I just watch, like I watched, uh, uh, Michael Sinclair, who's on second star to the right. Love um, him. Yeah. D- just one of the greatest people I've ever met was on, uh, the, the command. What are they called? The thing command with Jimmy zone. Wong. Yeah. Command zone. Yeah. Um, playing commander, I guess, which is a form of MTG. I don't know what I'm talking about. Just so we're clear. You're doing And great. I was watching and I was like, everything about this looks really cool. I played, you know, strategy deck building games growing up and this is confusing as hell and I will probably never learn. Um, and I don't know that I would be super optimized cause I'm not, not into that. So for all those reasons, I've been intimidated to not learn how to play. Cause every time I've tried to go, like it's, it's been very like, like look up a YouTube video and it's like, well, here's what you want if you're playing a red deck and I'm already overwhelmed cause it seems like their expectations. And it's I just intimidating. Play yeah. Yeah. I play mono white a lot of the time, which here's a little a little magic information. White historically has not been a powerhouse in in Magic the Gathering. Um, however, I as an individual love a challenge, and that's why I play mono white so much because it's it's harder to play, it's harder to win, it's harder to to build that really amazing uh, deck. But I still have fun, and it's you're you're absolutely right. I feel like the barrier to entry for Magic: The Gathering is a harder hurdle than it is for any other game I've ever played, because there are people who've been playing it literally their entire lives, yeah. and it is one of those things where if you kind of jump in later in the game, it's hard to get caught up. There's a lot of terminology that that isn't commonly used anymore that OG gamers will use all the time, like EDH. Uh, Only really committed to memory recently that that stands for Elder Dragon Highlander, which is the commander format in Magic the Gathering. It's one of those things that I think everyone should learn how to play, if only so that they can understand the discussions on it. Uh, With the crossover with D&D and Magic the Gathering being today's the actual release date that we're recording us. Hey, um, with that being now something that the precedent has been set, I only see it coming up more and more in conversation and in in different formats. So uh, I recommend it. I'll teach you how to play. I I am not the best teacher, but you'll have fun. That's really all I'm here for. I just want to have fun. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, playing with justice and like my wife and I are always looking for like, what is a thing we can do together in the few hours where our child is sleeping? <laughs> like that would be fun and enjoyable. There's and a joke that in kind here somewhere. Uh, there, there is. Feel free to go for it. I'm here to have fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've even brought up, I've been like, should we learn magic? And she was like, well, how do you play? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and it costs money. So there's a barrier, but I'm very interested in learning. I've talked to enough people recently who are, who are very big, uh, in the community and very big into it, whether it's Michael or Becca Scott or, um, you know, other people who are, who are just big into magic. And I'm like, man, all these people just seem to really enjoy this. 
and I vibe with these people and everything except magic. So it seems like I should give it it's a try. Time. It's time. Yeah. I will say, for me at least, I don't know if this is the case for everybody, but it is a more expensive hobby than Dungeons and Dragons. I can imagine. And and obviously because I, you know, work in the industry now and, and I have connections, I've been super spoiled, but like I I have all the content on D and D Beyond, so I don't have to pay when new books come out. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so like like financial barriers just by being in the industry have been removed. I can just play D and D and not think about the cost. I can spend my money on dice and minis. Um, but I'm like, oh, well, if I want to build a deck, I have to go pay for cards. And if I want a better <laughs> card, I have to go pay for cards. And then when I get really really hooked, because I will, and I'm like, oh, I want that one card that came out in 2007. They only made blah blah blah. Then I have to really pay for cards. Um, and as someone who still has several thousand Lord of the Rings trading card game and Star Wars collectible card game. We have tubs. a bunch of Star Wars downstairs. You do? Do you have like the old decipher ones? I don't know. This was a justice okay. thing and he it, like he's a pack rat. He will never get rid of them and will never do anything with them. Well, if he ever does want to get rid of them and they're uh, and they're the older ones. I mean, hit, hit me up is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, I haven't looked at mine forever, but I want them. I want them all. Ah, okay. You're a crow. You just collect all of the things. You're like me. Yes and no. I've weaned off of that a bit. But about these cards, I was. That was like the first thing as a kid I loved. And I would hunt hunt them down everywhere and buy the booster boxes. And like, and so even though I've gotten to the place where like my collections of things, I'm looking up at like Star Wars ships and whatnot, is very curated. When I think about those cards, it all comes back. I'm like, oh, no, I got to go. Like, I'll get on <laughs> Craigslist and I'll look for people selling their old boxes. Like, yeah, that is my one weakness and only one. That is the only weakness I have. Don't you lie to me. I know the you have old, some other kryptonite. We'll, we'll find out as our uh, supervillain trajectory proceeds. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. You got anything cool coming up? Anything you're excited about in the in the nerd world? Oh man. So we're going to be making some some cool announcements in regards to future Vampire the Masquerade content soon, so look for those. Um, okay. I will say that right now we are in the actual like dates and numbers planning stage for Ash and Ruin Part Two. Uh, which will be set in World War II era Chicago. So we're jumping ahead in the timeline about 20 years or so. Uh, there's there's always going to be fun things going on on the Bard and Barbarian channel. Uh, we've brought on some new cast for season two of Iron Dust and Blood, our Call of Cthulhu Down Darker Trails adventure, and it's been so much fun to have new blood come in and uh, really get some some spooky ghost action going on. I'm always a fan of those things. Uh, we also have our one-year anniversary for Barden Barbarian The Store coming up on July 31st. That's so, very exciting. Yeah, I think that we're going to plan on doing some fun one-page RPGs on Barden Barbarian The Twitch channel that day and just kind of celebrate and uh, hang out with everyone who's helped make it possible for, for us to do this. Totally. Um, just it's it's been a fun pet project and it's taught us a lot about who who you should work with who who's a great partner and how much the community will support people if they think that you're doing it right um it's been a wonderful journey so we're we're blessed to have done it for a year and we want to share that with everybody i think that's a great point too and you you touched on it a bit earlier when we were just talking about like working in the industry and getting into the industry. This is something I talked about with B Dave when he was on for the show is that like, like you don't know. And, and I, I bring it up over and over. Cause like, if you're going to be a creative in any field, you just, you have to remember this, but you don't know the conversations that happen behind the scenes when it comes to involving people in projects. And it's not, and it can be, it can be uh you know, nepotism, but it, it usually isn't. It's usually just like, is someone reliable? We just need someone reliable. Who do you know that is reliable and good to work with? And then you will even, even in us doing second star show, I'm like, Oh, I know that this person is good to work with. Um, maybe they're not the most famous name or the whatever to come bring in, but like, man, they're good to work with. So we're going to work with them or vice versa. You share that around. And if you are a creative in the industry, being good to work with goes so far because if you're not, if you don't show up on time, if you don't hold up your end of the responsibility, if you're not like, if you're not there and present and like engaged, engaged. Yeah. 
you're not going to get referred for things. Mm -hmm. And like, and everybody talks, it's a small industry. And, and, and honestly, I think that can sound like gatekeeping, but I think it's a good thing because it's people having each other's backs. It's a protective measure. I mean, don't work with Steve that, that guy's, that guy's trouble. He might not come through for you. Like, Mm -hmm. don't be Steve unless your name is Steve. Sorry. Don't be a Steve. We like Steve. Steve's Steve in general, I suppose is okay. There's probably one or two that I wouldn't enjoy, but no, I, I think that that's absolutely something to keep in mind. And I, the concept of fame in what we do is completely out of context from the rest of the world. Right. One of, one of my favorite little just like snippet stories that I've ever read from anyone in the TTRPG space, the nerddom, was Ginny D posted a story where she was super psyched uh, maybe, maybe a little bit freaked out. I don't know. I, I don't know her tone. I don't, I don't want to put feelings in her brain box. Um, but she was, she was talking about how someone recognized her at Target. And like me, looking at that, how does she not get recognized all the time everywhere, right? Sure. Because yeah. all my friends are nerd and they're like, oh, that's Ginny D. And, and B. Dave, too. I, you know, I talk to him on a daily basis. It floors me every day that he doesn't tell me that he got mobbed at, at the grocery or something like that. Uh, so the concept of fame and bigger names in what we do, like, yes, it, it applies. You know, someone has 100,000 followers on Twitter and on Twitch. And, sure. Uh, they're going to draw an audience, but... I think it's more important to build a balanced table of people who want to be there mm. and who you know will care about the game and engage with the audience. To, to me, that's so much more valuable. I I will recommend uh, my friend Mason for literally any opportunity that comes up because he's always engaged. He's always on top of it. He cosplays his characters. He he does the, the aftercare with everybody. He responds when you do group messages, and he's very uh, on top of keeping up with changes in the game and special events. And, uh, you know, the the people that that I work with are the people who care. And that's that is so valuable. And I'll also say that in terms of nepotism and you don't know what's going on with those casting meetings behind the scenes is you got to ask. Yeah. If you want to do more stuff. You have to speak up. Say you want to do more stuff. They won't all be great opportunities, but no one's going to, you know, come knocking on your door without you saying you want the opportunity. There, There are just too many people who are wanting to to play more games for for that to be a reasonable expectation 100 percent solid deep and profound insight all throughout the whole thing should i've been less deep do you want to talk about service stuff Uh, no i mean we can I, i i don't know like at this point at this point i'm just i'm chill that was that was good and it felt like a good landing place but we can also crank the shit back up and and just chat about uh I don't know what even is surface stuff. I feel like I'm married to a psychologist. And so that's dangerous. I'm so sorry. I don't know. It has been (laughs) the best. Like people say that that's always the thing. Like, Oh man, like, like she's all in your head or whatever. I'm like, no, 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 no. We we have a great marriage and a great kid because we know how to communicate about feelings. Um, my degree is in psychology. So, Oh, gotcha. So you, you, you get it. Yeah. Um, well surface stuff, here's what we can do. Because uh, as we're kind of coming to the end of the episode, uh, as people know, if you support the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, which you should, which you should, I'm biased, but I think you should. I'm not biased. Um, I don't give a shit. You should. We'll we'll move in closer to the mic for the, for the NPR sound as we talk (laughs) about the, as we talk about the patreon.com slash roll for persuasion, you get access to the zone of truth segment with my guests where I discuss with my guests, anything literally anything could be anything. Um, it could not be anything. It could be casual. It could be deep. Uh, we've laughed, we've cried. Um, sometimes we've laughed as we cried. You can get access to that by supporting the show at patreon.com slash roll for persuasion. But in just a moment, Diana will enter the zone of truth, which was named on the fly for no particular reason, but it's stuck. And in the zone of truth, we will discuss. We're going to talk about star Wars collecting. Are we? Are we really? We're going to. Oh my God! You look so excited right now. This is amazing. I am so excited. You have no idea. Oh, you have no idea. That's my lifeblood. 
Uh, well, guess what, guys? If you support <laughs> the show, uh, you can listen to Star Wars Collecting, which sounds like it might be niche. Maybe you're a Star Trek fan and you look down on Star Wars. Shame on you. But also, you'll still enjoy this part of the episode. So definitely make sure you support the show. Check it out. You get access to the back catalog at this point. 60 plus um, Zone of Truth segments with all of my guests. Most of them were just Andrew confessionals. Like he sat down one night and he was like, all right, I got some stuff I got to get off my chest. It's true. The guests weren't even on. People didn't know for the longest time that they even had the bonus segment. I'd be like, all right, goodbye. And then I would keep recording. I would just be like, is my hairline receding uh, for half an hour? And then I put it in and I called it content because this is the Internet and we can do that. So if that's what you're into, let me know because I'll make I'll make a I'll make a show just about that. And we'll monetize. Now I think you kind of have to. This is the way great ideas happen. They start as dumb, bad ideas, and then you just work hard on them. Like an anthill RPG. It, it, I'm actually surprised it doesn't exist. It probably does. It probably does, but make it again, because who cares? Yeah, Make your own true. thing. Yeah. That's fun. It won't have as much spit as mine. That's mine will focus on the spit. And as you should, core mechanic, I really think. <laughs> Guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate everyone who uh, listens and tunes into the show. Um, Diana, where can people... By the way, do you go by... Do you, I, I've wanted to call you like Di or D or like all sorts of different things. I've just been like, no, you don't actually know what her nickname is. You shouldn't make one up for her on the fly. Do you go by anything casually? Ooh, you know, most everyone knows Maybe. me as... Oh, God, no. Um, <laughs> most everyone knows me as Diana, but I'm always open to, to nicknames. Um, one of my friends did name me on the fly Trips last year and that's just kind of that's stuff. a pretty good one yeah so uh, you know have at it do do what you will i'm here for it trips is a is a interesting nickname to have during a pandemic um because if you are someone who is uh, a fan of stephen king as i am captain trips is the name of a, a big old bad pandemic that wiped out the world in the stand so um interesting choice during that time but that will only be off-putting in very certain crowds so you're probably good. it was more trips in the context of i fall down a lot if that helps <laughs> I, I, assumed, I, I assumed it was either equilibrium or drugs and you would clarify which e- equilibrium but also yeah. i'm known for my drugs so like take take that as you will it's, it's always great when you can apply to multiple things. Well, where can people where can people find you? You've mentioned a few different things you're involved in. We'll put links down below. Uh, but where can people check out what you're doing and the content you're making and support everything you've got going on? Throughout the week, you can find me sporadically over on twitch.tv slash bard and barbarian. Uh, that's the channel that Justice and I run. We're running a lot of horror stuff right now, but we also do a Kickstarter review uh, show Tuesday and Thursday mornings called But What If, where we talk about cool projects that are going on and uh, things that we feel are worth sharing with the community to, to drum up a little bit more support. Uh, you can also find me Wednesday nights over on Play Renegade, again for the nightlife, if you'd like to catch up on that so that you're all ready to go for next week. I believe all of those episodes are also on YouTube. Uh, and then on Twitter, I have opinions, and boy, do I share them. You can find me at D'Amico Diana. That's such a great like personal tagline. I'm going to steal it. I have opinions, and boy, do I share them. It's both a threat and a warning. It's, it's kind of that nice middle ground. It's always funny when people realize that on my Twitter, because I like doing giveaways, and you know, I'll always be like, hey, as part of the giveaway, follow me, because followers help. And, uh, and so I'll get an influx of followers and then something will happen in the world that I feel the need to express the opinion of, of a 30 something white guy into, um, cause there's not enough of those voices right oh now. God. And then people are like, then people are like, wait a minute, this doesn't have anything to do with dragons. This guy's an angry liberal. Like You're I don't have some following for that. Yeah. So, uh, so that's always a fun time when people realize that about me. Cause it's like a, it's a follower roller coaster. Super fun. Unexpected. So if you're into roller coasters, follow Diana. We'll put her link below. Or if you like people yelling too, that's or if you that's like people always... yelling. Yeah, follow me for roller coasters. Follow her for yelling. Yeah, and uh, and that'll be a solid combination. And dog pictures. I provide those too. And who doesn't need more of those? Literally no one. Well, thank you again so much for joining. As I said, for those of you who are Patreon supporters, please make sure that you are 
listening after this music ends because that is when the zone of truth happens so just hang tight you'll hear it in just a second if you aren't supporting the show as i said patreon.com slash roll for persuasion uh for a nominal monthly fee you can help make the show happen and earn my eternal gratitude and just get some really fun content but uh again thank you so much for joining each and every week and or every other week depending on how busy my week is and when the episode gets out but i appreciate that you listen when you do and until next time enjoy your games Thank you.